was pleased with the whole game. I mean, I know first half, you know, it was a difficult half for us because, you know, obviously when a team sits so deep and, you know, we had to initiate the play and you have to stay really sort of patient and, and make sure that at least, uh, you know, you work the opposition. And I thought we did that. Uh, didn't create a lot, but we had obviously a couple of great chances. Um, and you kind of need that goal to sort of break open a team that's going to sit so deep. But um, I still felt like we were putting enough work into them that at some point uh, we'd be able to break them. And then, yeah, obviously we conceded, which was disappointing because really apart from the free kick, they didn't really threaten us at all. And you're looking for a reaction and um, <clears throat> I thought the reaction was outstanding. You know, they just had a real belief today that in our processes and our football and, uh, yeah, really pleased with the outcome. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The reason that I'm here is because... You know, the club is seeking change. He said, well, whether you come or not, you're going to see a completely different first team under me. You know, my hope and my desire and what I'm going to try and do is give our supporters hope and, and belief that we're, um, you know, we're going to embark on something special. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. You can follow me at a Stetka. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot. This is episode 168. We've got an action-packed podcast coming up for you. We are into March, and we welcome Scott into the pod. He is at Scotchy Bird. Scott, what's going on, my friend? Not much, man. Good Sunday. Watched a little Manchester derby this morning, and now I've got Caitlin. About to break Pete Maravich's record on in the background, so nice, nice, easy Sunday morning. Yeah, that's that's women's college basketball for those not in the states and not understanding who, who Caitlin. That's Caitlin Clark of the Iowa Hawkeyes and Pete Maravich. Thank you. Like, like you're just totally eliminating all of our international listeners who have no idea what <laughs> what you're talking about with that. But I'll I'll fill them in for you, no problem. Thank uh, you. Yeah, well, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give that an eye. I'm going to give that an eye as well. Uh, Caitlin Clark going to going to break some break some records today. Our American listeners, I'm or I'm sure, are pumping their fists. Oh, for uh, sure, for, you, for sure. I just want I just want to let everyone in into the tent here. Big Ten operation we try to pull off. Yeah, uh, Caroline let's is double click on. Oh, go ahead. Let, sorry, real quick. We just let's double click double click on Caitlin Clark too. Greatest women's player of all time. Maybe maybe the greatest shooter of all time. I think Steph Curry would have have an argument there, right? But. Caitlin Clark is just phenomenal, and and she's from Des Moines, Iowa. went to went to the same high school as my mother, and um, yeah, if if you live in the state of Iowa, you don't you don't miss a Caitlin Clark game. Greatest women's player of all time. I want to let her get to the pros first. Like, man, you're you're really you're really going all out there. I love that, but I love the enthusiasm. But let's (laughs) let's let her let's let her show it off in the WNBA first. Uh, I will not. Uh, Caroline is also with us. She is at CG Stepco. Caroline, how has your Sunday been so far? Uh, you know, it's it's been okay. I got up really early to watch uh, a disappointing result in the women's North London Derby, although I don't think a terrible performance overall. 
Um, I also caught the Manchester Derby and listeners probably don't know this, but my dad is a United fan. And after the second Foden goal went in, he just stormed off. So <laughs> that was a, a tough watch, but I'm really excited for the Gold Cup this afternoon. The U.S. is back in action. So I, I think it's going to be a really tough match against Colombia, but a good test, you know, like we're in this transition period and we really need to uh, start getting it together. And I'm not sure that's happening under the interim manager, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually excited. I have not watched any of the Gold Cup thus far because the matches have all been on past my bedtime. Uh, I am a early to bed, early to rise, and this one is at least on a little bit earlier. So I'll I'll be uh, I'll be checking that out as well. I'm, I'm not going to breeze past the fact that listeners didn't know that your dad is a Manchester United fan. I didn't know that your dad was a Manchester United fan either. Like th that's news to me. And 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 I wouldn't call it earth shattering news, but earth shaking news a little bit. I didn't know this. Well, there, there's another lifetime in which I could have been a United fan myself because I was heavily invested in David Beckham back in the day. Um, well, but I, I think all. I mentioned this on the pod. Like I, I wasn't really a fan of any one team when I first started watching the Premier League, but you know, Tottenham till I die now. So all is well that ends well. Scott, your your dad is also a Manchester United fan. How did how did we let this happen? He is, man, and he he talks a lot of shit, which he, I don't know. I don't understand why he does not much of, of of a leg to stand on these days for United supporters. But yeah, I, we went to Old Trafford once and took him took him through the stadium, and he walked out and said, "I'm I'm now a Manchester United fan." So I do give him I do give him you know some credit for at least you know visiting the stadium and. And just feeling the, the and, and I will agree with this. There's just a certain feeling when you're at Old Trafford that's pretty special, right? So, um, yeah, he is a United fan, though, unfortunately. And it, it is weird that two of us, you know, who are diehard Tottenham supporters, uh, you know, are, are, have fathers who support Manchester United. But here we are. Yeah, credit to you both. I'm I'm the one trying to pull my dad into soccer fandom and trying to like. And every once in a while now, I'll get a text from him like, "Hey, what?" What what where's the Spurs match on today? What time? Like he wants to watch it. He wants to be involved when he's not on the golf course, which which I respect. Um, hell, I was in the same boat for uh, Tottenham Hotspur three, Crystal Palace one. I was on the golf course during this match, but I did come back uh, yesterday afternoon, watched it back after having the results spoiled for me. Um, but nonetheless, um, <laughs> it's it's always interesting to to take these games in whether you watch them live or whether you know the result and watch them back I, like i said rare instance for me where i was in that scenario and knew we were going to win the match but even still throughout i was thinking well this is a little bit of a frustrating watch there's still a little bit of um i guess stagnant attack against the low block and i guess that's where i want to start with this scott because this match kind of felt a little bit like some of the other matches we've seen in recent weeks, it felt stagnant at times going forward and honestly quite solid at the back. Um, aside from a, a brilliant free kick from Eze, like this was a pretty solid performance. I thought just, it didn't have a lot until the end in, in, in which case the floodgates kind of opened. So what was just to take that. And what was your overall assessment of, of the way this thing played out? Yeah. I mean, I think this thing played out exactly as you would expect a Tottenham match in our current state and form, et cetera, to play out against Crystal Palace. Um, like you said, we're really having a hard time breaking down blocks. I still see what I've seen for the last couple of months that they're really teams are really shutting down Madison and Kulisevsky and um, 
you know, those players that are expected to, to be our creative presence in the final third and, and asking us to depend and rely on our inverted fullbacks to be that creative presence. And maybe you're a six and you're eight in Basuma slash Bentakur yesterday, right? Who can do a job there, but aren't who you're deploying to be your creative presence in the final third, right? So teams are doing a really good job of, of shutting us down tactically, in my opinion. And it's something Angel have to figure out. Um, and then when we find these scores, because Palace are getting forward and leaving a lot of space in behind, it, all of our goals lately are coming from counters and quick transitions when we win the ball somewhere in the middle of the park, right, quickly. And, and, and again, break. It's maybe not a full counter, but we're not doing anything with our possession. And, I mean, we won. I'm happy. But as we continue to watch this team grow, we have to find a way to be – more more useful with our possession or we just won't take that final step um and again very early days i'm not saying this with any sort of thought that we won't be able to accomplish that right but we're just in that period of of the project where we're not getting enough out of our creative presence in the final third caroline uh in terms of the performances you know he got in touch on a lot of it and through the midfield and an attack i felt like the word that kept coming back was stagnant but but to his point like it's really just in possession because when you do get those moments where there's a turnover either in midfield or even when we retrieve the ball back deep with our center backs there is always an opportunity to catch a team out there and I think we saw a little bit of that early in the early going. And let's let's start with the Timo Werner moment because this was, and and we're we're gonna heap plenty of praise on a Timo Werner throughout this pod. I'm going to because I think he's been a really great addition to this squad. But that moment where Sonny flicks the ball forward to him and he's in one on one and fails to fails to convert was kind of the epitome of what we've seen from Timo Timo Werner over the years in the Premier League and. I just I felt really, really heartbroken to to watch that happen in the first half. Now, obviously, a lot of what happened in the first half gets erased with what happened in the second half. But what was your reaction to that just in in, in the moment? Because it, 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 it almost felt a little bit heartbreaking to watch. Yeah, it was sad to watch. And I think it was one of those cases where you wish that it had been the opposite, that it was Timo providing that chance for Sonny, because we know Sun's making that chance. Um, but it's, I think Timo is the kind of player who, if he has too much time to think, he really struggles with it. But at, like I've been saying, since he joined the team, I think his mentality has been really strong and that, you know, we saw he did not give up. He ended up making a really important contribution later in the game. So it's, it, this is just the full Timo Werner experience, the good and the bad. Um, and we knew that when he, when we signed him. So I think we just kind of have to accept it at this point, <laughs> but to go back to the midfield situation a little bit, I was really surprised to see Sar benched for this one, because for me, I feel like Basuma and Benchancourt too often, they just kind of negate each other. And, you know, I also don't think it helps that Madison doesn't look like he's back up to speed yet, but he is the kind of player who, as we saw later, he can have that just one moment of world-class brilliance that makes a difference. So um, we just need him to be, I think, providing a little more creativity because, you know, like you said, it's been a little stagnant lately and it's not that we had a terrible first half. Um, you know, we had chances. It just, it, it wasn't really 
scintillating <laughs> the way that we kind of saw in the beginning of the season. Yeah, and with Sar, we at least did get some news from Ange in the post game that he's been dealing with a little bit of a back thing since returning from Afcon. But is they've been monitoring it. He hasn't missed any training, but he, and he's playing through it. But maybe that was just the reason to to not start him and bring him on later in the match. So I get that, and I agree with you wholeheartedly that I think that Benton Kerr and Basuma in the midfield, especially with Benton Kerr, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, also not quite up to speed from I think from from his multiple injuries that he's so i think we tend to forget that he returned so early from two different injuries that um it was unexpected and it's been nice to have his minutes but we also would like some more minutes from and and more production from those minutes um and and madison i'm i'm really i'm starting to see it i'm starting to see it come along a little bit more it's always going to be hard against a low block and that's pretty much to your point all palace wanted to do they just wanted and it's what teams are going to do and scott you've talked a lot about this in terms of you know not only in terms of getting inverted fullbacks involved but just in terms of breaking down a low block teams are finding that if they have an outlet and boy do palace have a few different outlets that they can run out there they you can counter on on us and that's that's testing the center backs and it's 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 going to test every element of the team when 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 we come up against a team that's going to do this against us yeah, I mentioned this in the chat yesterday, but when I saw they lined up in a 3-4-3, I shat myself. I was terrified as to what a couple of wingbacks and wingers in tandem could do against our inverted fullbacks. Um, now, granted, it went just fine. I will say, without Mickey Vandeven, we do not win yesterday's game, without a question. I mean, they probably score four or five times without Vandeven back there. If it was if it was uh, Royale and Davies, it's a very different podcast. Um, Picario too. Yeah. Thank you. hundred percent agree, Carolyn, but, but yeah, it's, it's something we're going to have to continue to figure out because like I've said, and, and I know you just mentioned, I've said this, but just to reiterate or maybe paint the picture, at least my, my thoughts on the picture to those who haven't heard it is when, when you shut down the creative presence that we would discuss in Kulisevsky and Madison, whatever it is. Right. And ask those fullbacks to be on the ball in the, in the final third, you're really setting yourself up to be able to counter super efficiently, right? If you're winning the ball back from Udogi or Poro, you're in. It's as simple as that, right? And and so I was nervous yesterday. Um, again, we got it done, but but Mickey Vandeven um, is is the reason for that, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought both the center backs. In fact, I mean, we can, we'll, we'll come on to Romero and and the just the elation that he showed after scoring a brilliant goal, but. To your point, I thought Van de Ven was the best player on the pitch um, just for everything that he, like you said, allows them to do going forward. His recovery time and his ability to shield the ball, shield a player, um, just his ability to be where he needs to be and use his recovery pace if he's not there. It, it allows this team to go forward in a way that it wouldn't be able to otherwise. And I thought the fullbacks, but, you know, Adogi was was good, not great, I thought. I want to give a little bit of props to Emerson Royale because he, he played a really solid game that was not, you know, I I know I'm grading on a curve a little bit just because the expectations, but he didn't, he never looked out of his depth, which I thought had not been the case in in the previous few weeks that he's been needing to play. Um, And then Romero was Romero, you know, Romero's had some interesting quotes about the way he's changed his game of late. And I know there's, there were, there were a few people asking what the hell he was doing scoring that goal like wh- why was he floating up that far but hey man 
to to my earlier point, that's kind of what Vandevent allows you to do. It allows you to throw him up there on occasion as an extra body to to flick something in like that off of his head when you got Vandevent back there. So um, credit to him as well. Uh, I I did want to I want to double click on the attack too though because we talked a little about about Tima Werner. Sonny was great in this game. I thought Kulusevski. Kulusevski in, in in tandem with Madison is an interesting thing. Still, it's very um. It's almost like they're trying to play similar roles at times rather than being a scorer. Either of them are trying to be facilitators and it's coming from the similar areas of the pitch at times. And that's, I think that's where stagnation against a low block sometimes comes from, but I also don't want to let the conversation go too long without talking about Brennan Johnson's impact on this game because Brennan Johnson came, comes in, gets two assists in like 30 plus minutes played off the bench and completely I think changed everything in terms of his pressing ability and sparking that first goal, the brilliant crossover to Timo Werner. I mean, he, his motor is what created that goal for me. Um, and it, it really, once you got that equalizer, you felt like, okay, we can go on and win this. It was, you could feel it in the stadium and you could feel the vibe even on the pitch. The players were, you know, it, it, it was getting late early at that point. And he came on and really changed the action um, from from the attacking line more so than needing to have it come from midfield, come from Madison. I thought that was a really important part of the game, Caroline. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he's proven that he can be a really impactful sub, um, especially in a game like that, you know, later on where we need the fresh legs. And he did have that one opportunity to score himself that I think he's going to want back. <laughs> um, and, you know, he, he had talked about I don't remember which game it was now. I think the Brentford game maybe where he scored that game winner um, and joked about how he was praying not to send it over the bar. And then he did exactly that in this game. So clearly there are still elements of his game that he needs to work on. But I think, you know, considering we've talked about this before, we weren't really expecting him to play perhaps as many minutes as he has already. But I think he's, he's really made them count and he's really, I think, silenced a lot of the the fans that have been kind of disgruntled with him. And, um, you know, for a young player, I think he's exactly where he needs to be at right now, honestly. And like you said, Andrew, it was important that we were able to bring a different dimension into the attack at that point of the game because, you know, the previous strategy had not really been working. So, yeah, I just I loved what he what he did in this game. Well, yeah, Carolyn, that, that last part you just said is is. I think the the biggest talking point behind Brennan Johnson, he it's becoming clear to me he did it. We didn't bring him in to help us beat a low block, right? Brennan Johnson is not going to in any way, shape, or form help help you beat a low block. We've also seen that Brennan Johnson doesn't play that well when he starts. There's a reason for that, right? For 60 minutes, 70 minutes, we're going to be trying to break down a low block until we get to a point, at least historic, at least recently, right, where it's nil nil one one teams start showing a little bit. Um, and I think part of this is Andy's game plan, right? Like teams are eventually going to start sniffing a little bit of blood and go for it against us because they know we played this inverted fullback system. Brendan Johnson can just eat that space alive all day. And that's what, what we're seeing over and over. So I think a huge part of why Brendan Johnson's been so effective is Andy's management and understanding that there's a very specific purpose that a Brendan Johnson serves. You wait until the other team starts to sniff that blood. You bring Brendan Johnson on, and we're going to find 
attack and, and quick transition goals. He does it so well. Um, and the last thing I'll say is his ability, his ability to drop his shoulder and drive the, the flank or drive the line, whatever you want to call it. We haven't seen that in, at Spurs in a very, very long time. Um, and a, a lot of credit to Brendan Johnson for what he's brought to the team for sure. Tottenham have scored the sixth most goals in the Premier League this season, which sounds pretty good, you know, to 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 be in that in that company. But it feels almost like the offensive output hasn't been there at times, especially in the last handful of months, where things like we've been talking about have been a little bit stagnant. Teams are figuring out ways in order to stop inverted fullbacks and 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 sit in a low block and and force us to get creative. Uh, but I'm wondering if even though they are sixth in goals scored and and with a game on in hand on most of those teams, even if, if they can be effective enough, if Brendan Johnson, Timo Werner, Dan Kulosevsky are the, the, the wide players who are really just there to create and create space rather than to score. I'm wondering if they need one more finisher a la Sonny. Obviously we had it for, for a month or so in Richarlison, when Sonny was out now that he's injured, which again was news to us this week and he's going to be out for a few weeks, but at least the, the options are there. I'm just wondering if the finishing options are there. Um, we obviously saw Timo get, get off, off the schneid in this game and get the goal on a brilliant pass from Brennan. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to dismiss the fact that one created a goal for the other, but with those types of players who are traditionally, you know, the expectations for their finishing and actual goal scoring output is not as high as it is for players like Sonny. And and certainly even Madison, I think to an extent has become a, a little bit more in, in that vein as well. Where are you guys at with this team's ability to actually score enough goals down the stretch in order to make this push for champions league football? Well, I, I think we're going to be just fine in that regard because Right now, we're operating with a really suboptimal midfield performance. So I think once we're able to rely less on the wingers to be creating, I think it's going to improve naturally. Um, but I, I do think it's fair to say that, you know, like in this game, Sonny worked really hard, and I do think he had a great game, but I don't think he had nearly enough service either if he's going to be playing in that striker role. Um and obviously he provides something a little bit different from Richarlison in terms of like the way that he plays that position. But yeah, I don't, I don't really feel any concern about scoring enough goals. Cause I think we're just sort of ramping back up after that really difficult period we had in the winter. Um, and to me, to me, the defense is always the thing that concerns me more uh, just because we, I always say we do not make it hard enough for teams to score on us this season. Like we, we give up the stupidest goals, I swear. Um, but I do think that is slowly improving. So yeah, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. I think we're definitely good for the rest of the season to be able, if, 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 you know, the question is, can, can we achieve top four with what we have? But I do think this summer we probably need to think a little bit more about, um, how we're going to continue to, to, to finish. I think the interesting thing that I see, let's say, let's say it's Sonny Richarlison and Kulisewski across the front, right? Or even Werner with Sonny in the middle. Kulisewski is definitely deployed at not as, as I wouldn't call him a winger. I wouldn't call him 
an inside forward. I would call him more of an attacking playmaker in the idea that when he receives the ball, even though he's on in a winger position, right, his 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 responsibility is to get more central and and find teammates around him. He's he's not looking to goal when he receives the ball. He's looking to to pass the ball. Um, Sonny, complete opposite, right? On the left hand side, Sonny's an inside forward. If Richarlison's in the middle, and Madison tends to 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 gravitate to the left side of the field almost always when we're in possession. So you've got Kulisevsky and Madison playing off of each other as attacking playmakers, wide attacking playmakers pretty often with Richarlison and Sonny more tasked with, with looking to goal when they receive the ball or, or, or finishing. Right now, all that to say, I think if we can get somebody just a little more lethal to pair Sonny, because I think Richarlison has done a great job. I, I said it on the last couple of shows at some point, Without Sonny on the field, I think Richarlison's going to score a lot more goals because he's the focus uh, of the attack, right? But when Son's on the field, you're giving up a lot of opportunities because you have to to Youngman's son, right? He's a world-class finisher, probably, honestly, top three pure finishers in the game, right? Um, so if we can get somebody super lethal to be in the middle with Sonny on the left and let next season, I'm saying, let Kulisevsky and Madison pull, pull the strings out wide – I think I think we'll f- start to find a way to, to beat these low blocks that we've struggled so so much to beat. So in a weird way, I think just that second presence up there with Sonny could do a lot for us being able to find space. You know, it's wild too. I also talk about are we going to be able to find enough goals? And when you look at how many goals we have scored and are scoring on average, it's we're way up. I mean, this is going to be the most goals that on this pace that that Spurs have scored in a season in probably since before Mauricio Pochettino's days. I mean, this is, they are scoring more, they're scoring 2.12 goals per game at this output. Um, and Spurs have not come close to two uh, in, in many years. So, and it's not coming at, we would think that that comes as a detriment on the other end, but we're actually allowing only 1.5 goals per game compared to 1.66 last season. So that number has dropped as well. So um, there's a lot of, you know, hand-wringing over the goals it's just it's interesting when three of them come in 11 minutes and those 11 minutes are late in the game like that's what makes some would say spurs spurs i mean the the, i think it's now 19 points gained from losing positions which leads the premier league but also they've dropped something like 15 from winning positions so uh that's that's just what makes this team i don't know it's kind of what we love about them um, the other thing we love about them, though, is is the reaction from from Cudi Romero after the goal, and I think that's the the other thing to kind of double click on from this match was just the reactions and the kissing of the badge, which will forever live, I think, in in everyone's heart. Uh, what was Carol? What was your reaction to that? Because I just I watched that and I got literal chills, even knowing what the result was going to be. I just I knew that was like one of those moments that was so endearing to all the fans there. Yeah, I loved it. And I also loved Richarlison, who is supposed to be injured, you know, sprinting over to the celebration to join in and his vintage Spurs kit. Um, I yeah, I loved all the celebrations actually in this game. Like I know Timo talked in his post game about how the team did not really celebrate his goal because we were, you know, trying to get back into the game and, you know, go on past the equalizer to get the win. Um but that's great that he scored his first first goal, obviously. And then you have, you know, Romero kissing the badge and then 
Sunny, uh, this one was special to me because I've been trying to get my nieces into soccer and they were watching this game with me. And when they saw Sunny do his signature camera celebration, they started imitating it. And it just, it really warmed the cockles of my heart. So yeah, I, I think, but you're right. This is what we love about Spurs. We love the passion. We love the never say die attitude. So it's, it's just good to have a season finally where we're enjoying watching the games and you never have the sense that we're out of it, even when we're down. Watching Cootie celebrate like that just reminded me how lucky we are to have him. He's so talented. He's that classic Argentine defender that just plays with so much heart and passion. He reminds me of like a Diego Simeone. Um, he's way more concerned with with loyalty and passion and respect for his club than than you know hoarding trophies at a city or something like that. Um, he was at Atalanta and he was, of course, at, at Juve, a huge club before Atalanta, right? But he was so passionate about Atalanta. They're, they're, they're kind of like Spurs in the sense that they've, they've got a fan base and, and a club identity that really, uh, you know, wants to play attractive football, wants to do things the right way. Atalanta respects the game a lot. So, you know, it's kind of cool to see him uh, at a club that's similar to the club he loved in Italy, but just maybe on a, on a higher scale, right. Playing at a higher echelon. And I think that I think, and I'm not just saying this based on his celebration yesterday, I think Cootie's going to be at the club for a long time. I don't think he's one of those superstars that's looking, looking to use Tottenham Hotspur as a stepping stone to something bigger. I think he's very happy where he is. And um, as a fan, I couldn't, couldn't be happier, you know, uh, thinking about something like that. So. And, you know, he's kind of added another level to his game this season because he has matured, I would say. Uh, you know, he noted in his post game that he hasn't had a single yellow card since the turn of the year. And I, I think having this vice captaincy has been really huge for him. Like, he, it's just really forced him to kind of reassess his approach to the game and have a little bit more of a level head. Um, so it's, it's not just that he's scoring goals for us this season, he's holding it back in the back line, but yeah, I, I just think the, the leadership too has been really important. Yeah. Four, four goals from your center back is insane at this point in the season. Like, what are we like, if he's going to be doing that as well as playing with more poise and did I read, he doesn't even have a yellow card this season. Like we all know he picked up the red in the Chelsea match, but like, that's incredible. Like the, the amount of maturity that he has shown. And honestly, I, I do think you, you have to credit a little bit of this to having a, a great partner who's able to do many different things than you. And that's not to yep. take anything away from Cootie, but like the combination of these two guys in the back, we've seen it's, it's been really, really good. Um, And it's, it's it, the, the, it's the maturity for me because like, like, let's be honest at the start of the season, we all said, so long as you know so long as Romero can mature and and grow from 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 what he we know he has been in the past like absolutely th there's there's no doubt about it and and yes you, you point out to me he he did have four yellows in the first half of the season but hasn't gotten to that point that we all expected him to with the accumulation and and also that was in the first half of the season like he since he's come back from the red card suspension i don't think he's had one and he's played He's just played brilliantly. He's played so steadily. And I think that's the thing that this back line was missing, as well as obviously Van de Ven and for a time fullbacks. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's all been 
<laughs> it's all been shit since Chelsea, but it's slowly getting back to not being shit any longer, which is kind of nice. Um, Dude, Romero guys, reminds me, real quick, Romero reminds me of one of those players when you're in youth soccer and he wants to play striker and you sit the kid down and you're like, you're the best player within a 50 mile radius in the sport. Like you have to play center back. Okay. I need you at center back because no one else can even play soccer. Um, and over the years, he just, he developed into this very talented center back because Cootie could play as a six for sure. He could probably play as an eight. I mean, he's good with the ball. He understands spacing. He can even play as a striker. We've seen, we've seen him finish with his head so well, right? You could plunk him up top as a target forward and he'd do a job. Cootie is somebody that the late great Franz Beckenbauer is smiling down from heaven when he watches this guy play, right? Without question. He's he's a libero. Um he's he's just incredibly, incredibly talented from 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 front to back. You can say like he's a net to net player. They say box to box, right? But you extend that another 18 yards. Um we've just got a real, real gem on our hands in Cudi Romero. Yeah, he's been great. Uh, guys, if we, if we look ahead uh, on the fixture list, it's Aston Villa next week. Now, this is this becomes really interesting. We obviously lost the, the reverse fixture to Aston Villa 2-1 back in November. That was the second match after Chelsea. Uh, we played Wolves, and then Villa lost that match. If you go back, by the way, to that match, and I'm pulling it up here now, the 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 eleven is is ridiculous. Like it's you've got Royal playing right center back. Poro is out right. Davis is at left center back. Uh, Brian Heel started that match. Like it was it, there was a it, we had a little bit of a show going on. Kulusevski was playing as the cam with Madison out. Was um, also and Bentoncore flanking him. It was just a very weird weird lineup because of the circumstances. So hopefully things are a little bit different this time around. Um, you look at Villa, this match is going to be on Sunday because Villa is playing in the conference, the Europa conference league against Ajax on Thursday. So it's a Sunday match for us. Um, and I think it's obviously important. They are five points ahead of us for fourth place right now, as we speak. And that obviously all becomes very important in terms of champions league race. But it's also funny because there's been this thing hanging out there right now about uh, which two, leagues are going to get the extra fifth champions league position england are currently in third uh, with i think it's italy and germany ahead of them but there is there is some belief that that england could overtake and and get that that extra spot for the champions league meaning fifth place would be good enough to make champions league next season i present it to you guys this way i think that would be great either way and i guess that means we all have to become big Aston Villa fans this Thursday against Ajax and maybe root for the other English teams to advance in, in Europe. I, I, I don't really care either way, but do we definitively, and this is going to sound stupid. So listeners bear with me. Do we definitively want to be in the champions league next year? Or I've heard the argument that Europa league may be a better spot for this team and its development rather than trying to skip a step. Caroline, where are you at with this? Well, first off, this is a big improvement over a couple of seasons ago when we were debating whether it was worth it to be in the Conference League. So thank you, Ange, <laughs> for, for giving us better questions to ask. Um, but, you know, I, I think Ange himself would say, hell yeah, we want the Champions League. Like, we want to go for it. 
Um, I do think we're going to have to definitely make some smart squad decisions this summer <laughs> to actually, you know, get the squad to a level where we can compete in that competition. But I, I think it's doable. I really do. So yes, I, I really hope that we can secure whether it's the fourth spot that we need or the fifth spot. Yeah, I completely agree. I think to anyone who feels that the Europa League is is a better option for the project, I respect it. And I'm not going to like knock someone's opinion there. But I would just say simply that the days of, of say, an Alex Ferguson coming to United who hadn't won in like 30 years, 20-some years, right? 24, I think. Building up the academy, bringing up, you know, bringing these players through to the first team and then building this long-term sustainable project just isn't really the ways of the world anymore. It, it, it's talent and money. That's how you win now. And it sucks. We've talked about it all the time, right? The game's fucking gone, whatever we want to say, right? But talent and money is how you win. And the Champions League attracts talent and money. The Europa League does not. So, um, sure, the Europa League would be fine. But if we if we want to to continue to grow into the modern game, then we need to be qualifying for Champions League. And I know how that sounds, right? There's so many clubs don't qualify for the Champions League, but with Tottenham's aspirations, um, you can't have the Champions League sitting there and not not reach out and grab it. It's just it's not good. I think it's really good that you know we 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 get we get all these players coming back or coming into the team players like Bergval players like Valise, players who are are with us but on loan divine you know all these names come to mind where boy the Europa League could be a really like fertile ground for those players to grow and I totally get that and that's why I I kind of approach this at, in a similar way to, to the to the two of you yeah, I want Champions League. I want us to be in the best competition in the world. I want us to be going after that. I think that no one will ever get over the fact that just five years ago, we were there. We were right on the precipice of winning the damn thing. And now we're thinking, are we ready to be back into taking that step? Well, yes, we're ready. As fans, we clamor for that. We clamor for the highest honors and the, you know, the, the, the shooting for the, the furthest possible star. But the fallback to that for me is, I'm not going to throw a pissy fit if, if, if we don't get there because the fallback of, of Europa League being a real competition, like let's be honest, the Europa League is looked at as lesser and it is quote unquote lesser than the Champions League, but it's a real competition. It's not like the Conference League. There are a lot of really good teams in the Europa League and it's a really competitive division every year. And it's also one of those spots where I think it would still be attractive for players to come in and know this is my opportunity to make it on a European stage. So I do think that that's really important to, to, to have as a fallback option. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not to that place where I'm going to be pissy if it doesn't happen because of the project aspect of this and what Ange has done and is doing. Well, I would also not, I'm not saying push back on the whole point at all, but you know, to, to, and this isn't even a pushback to you, right? Cause I know where you stand, but if, if anyone thinks that, the value of the Europa League comes in the form of Bergvall and Valise getting opportunities, etc. The first thing that happens if Ange trots out Valise and Bergvall into a Europa League match is fans start screaming that we're not taking the competition seriously. 
and we're starved of trophies and it's just asinine that we're not starting a stronger squad. And that's probably coming from the same people who now are saying that it would be a great opportunity for Bergvall and, and Belize to get some minutes in Europe, right, to to continue to build up the, the academy and the squad depth. So ultimately in football, you, you can't really win with the fans. Um, the only thing that matters for the club is winning and winning as fast as possible. And again, that's what that's what the Champions League does. So, um, yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, I, I, I jumped the gun in moving on from talking specifically about the game, and I, I will own that as host. Um, Caroline pointed out to me that we did not address the, the Timo Werner penalty shout. And this is the point uh, where I have to kind of – I'm going to cosplay as Todd for a second and say that that is – and I'm probably not going to get as angry or, or do the voice, but that was about as egregious as a fuck-up as I've seen and the PGML should be ashamed. Um, I cannot believe that two different officials looked at that multiple times and decided now we're good because that's about as stone cold as a penalty as I've ever seen. I haven't seen anyone say it's not quite literally. Um, I literally saw a description from a pundit that said, well, you can see here that the reason it's not a penalty is because Timo Werner's leg is planted and it gets kicked. What? That's a penalty. <laughs> uh, new, news to me, that's a penalty. Um, it was insane. And and I'm, I'm actually like, I don't think we gave enough attention to the Timo Werner like roller coaster of emotions in this match too, because it really was like, you know, the, the, the big miss chance one-on-one, the penalty shout that doesn't come through and then comes through with a goal anyway. And it, it was a very up and down. And obviously he's a, I don't, I don't even know if polarizing is the word for Timo Werner. I don't think he's polarizing. I think he's um, mislabeled at times as something that he's perhaps not. And I think that's okay. But the, the roller coaster that he was on and, right at the middle of it was that penalty shout. I don't know what you guys have to say about it, but for me, I, like that's not a very good Todd impression and I'm not trying to be an impressionist here, but I just, it sucked, man. I, I'm, I'm so sick of having to deal with this shit and it's, it's, it's exhausting to have to talk about officiating all the time. It is, but I think in this case, I was just happy that it was a non-factor in the end. You know, I, I think I've been saying this all season that we, cannot rely on the officiating to do us any favors because we've seen time and time again, it, it just doesn't happen. So we have to put the game out of sight without those kind of calls. But I do agree with you that that one was pretty egregious. Um, I don't know how they can really argue that Timo was drawing the contact as they say, when literally he was, he was trying to block the player from getting the ball because he was trying to attack. Yeah. And, and by definition, the, the defender hitting him, that is a penalty. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just glad it didn't matter in the end. Scott, were you as incensed as, as I'm sure Todd was and I am and everyone like this, this just seems, I get what, I get what Caroline's saying about, you have to just make it not matter, but it does feel at this. And I didn't see the Liverpool thing. Everybody was bitching about the Liverpool thing too. Uh, from their match and and but it's just it's getting to a point of ridiculousness 
Yeah, honestly, I'm, I think I was pretty apathetic to the decision. And I think that's just because I've gotten to the point where there's no rhyme or reason for the way calls are made. And I've just kind of given up emotionally investing into the decisions that are made by VAR. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that's a much broader conversation in itself. Right. And we could do a, a twice a week podcast for a long time talking about VAR. Right. But, um, yeah, just honestly, like I said, I was very apathetic when, the, when the situation came and I, uh, blame the pgmol and the premier league for that so yeah um there's there's gonna be more officiating to discuss when we talk about the women's game um but before we get to the women's game i do want to just pause for a second and talk about ryan sessignon the uh the statement that he put out earlier this week he of course underwent another surgery uh another hamstring surgery different hamstring than the last surgery but um Ryan put out a statement that I thought was was really, really important. And um, I, I just want to read the bottom part of it, the last sense, few sentences, really, because I th- thought they were the most important parts of his statement. Um, he just said, speaking on behalf of anyone who's been in this situation, please be careful what you say online. Words hurt, and no one chooses to be in this position. I think that's kind of where I've been at with, with Ryan Sessignon all along. It's just been a, a sad story. Of, of injuries and heartbreak for this kid. He's still not that old. He still has a chance to have a real career ahead of him, but it's obviously like with all the hype that came around him when he joined Tottenham and with all the kind of fervor that he, I mean, this was a player that was like in contention to be a fullback on the, on the national team. Like he was, he was right there on the precipice of, of being something really, really special and injuries have just completely derailed his career and the level of hatred that he gets is beyond me. It, it, I don't know if it's, you know, I'm sure some of it is probably racially m- motivated, um, but it is, it's, it's unlike something I've seen in some time. And um, heart really breaks for him this week because it sucks seeing what he's had to go through and seeing not, not just with the injuries, but seeing what he's had to, you know, read about himself uh, just on, on the internet. So I just wanted to double click on that. And if you guys have anything else to add, feel free. Not, not really. Just like you said, we, we wish him a good recovery and whether his career continues at Tottenham or elsewhere, I think he's still a really talented player who has a lot of potential and it's, you know, it's, it's never, I think fair when a player has to go through basically the same injury twice in such a short span of time you know we see it sometimes with acl injuries and it's just as heartbreaking so yeah just wishing them well yeah no question about it um let's move on to talk about arsenal one tottenham hotspur nil on the women's side of things um this caroline this match saw quite a few lineup changes that i was surprised by when i woke up uh, to watch it this morning. Uh, you want to take us through those to start and then just talk about, I, I thought what was a good, not great performance. It was, it was one of those things that like defensively, it was really quite solid for, uh, but for one moment and they just couldn't really get anything going in attack throughout this entire 90 minutes. Yeah. I think Robert made some really bold choices for the starting lineup. Most of them I thought were good ones. Um, yeah, I was especially happy to see Jess Naz getting a start. I've been calling for that for weeks, it feels like. 
Um, and so she was kind of partnering with Martha Thomas uh, in the attack. And then we had Kit Graham started in place of Olga Atenen. And I, I kind of suspect that that might be down to the international break with, you know, a lot of these um, selection choices, actually. You know, we've got players coming back who have played heavy minutes with their countries. And, you know, I think from that perspective, it made sense to start Kit instead. And we know that Kit, you know, <laughs> for all that she really is not the tallest player, she's actually very good aerially. Um, and that was going to be important, as we saw many times in this game. So I liked that choice. Um, I also loved to see Ashley Neville returning from injury and being straight back into the starting lineup. So she ended up starting instead of Charlie Grant. And, you know, I think Charlie probably is another one of those players coming back from international break. Like, just it makes sense to play the player who's a little more fresh um, and also experienced, you know, for a game of this magnitude. And the last one that was a little bit surprising was seeing Becky Spencer back in goal. But I, you know, everyone knows I'm heavily on the Becky hype train. Um, I'm still behind her for what it's worth. And I, you know, Barbara had that really incredible game in the reverse fixture, but I don't think she's really shown the same promise since. So it, it made sense for me, for Becky to get this chance to, to kind of reclaim her spot and, I thought outside of one, you know, minor error that she kind of corrected herself, she actually had a really strong game. So I don't know what you felt about those choices, but I, I was pretty happy with the starting lineup. I don't really disagree with any of them. It just feels like at this point, in terms of getting something going forward, there aren't a lot of other options. And he, I mean, Robert can, can shake up the 11 and I think that's, that's a positive, but going to the Emirates is going to be a challenge no matter what. Um, this game was played in front of a, a lot of people, although there's, I saw, you note there did seem to be quite a few empty seats for a sellout, which I thought was interesting. Um, and you know, they, they had, to, they, you know, you're going into this type of match. You're going to have to have to withstand just a barrage of attack and try and hit them on the counter. I thought the one, the one element that I was most, um, encouraged to see was Jess Naz because I thought she was able to, at least provide an outlet when, when you're able to gain the ball back and try to start a counter, she was dropping deep enough to take the ball and find an outlet pass and start something going forward on multiple occasions. If you look at kind of some of the underlying statistics or not even underlying statistics, but even just in terms of possession, this game was not as lopsided as you might think watching it, it was 59% possession to Arsenal, but it, it, it felt like more than that even because of, of the constant barrage um, and Spurs were still able to get a few moments where they would have had a, ch a, a chance to score. Not not any great chances, but for, for most of the match, this was just withstanding the barrage and trying to counter off of it, something the Spurs were just not able to do well enough. And again, the defending, for the most part, was pretty good. There were not a ton of just clear-cut open chances that Arsenal missed and, and you know, squeezed by and, and won this one nil. It was the one chance really that was the big chance that they scored on. And other than that, it was a lot of half chances, decent chances. Um, it wasn't like Becky Spencer had to stand on her head in order to, to, to keep this a one nil match. So um, it was a good effort. And I, I thought, you know, always going to be a challenge, to, especially to do a double over Arsenal. Like, come on. Like, I think when you, you know, that's the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on from this game other than the goal that they did scored and and I, I alluded to it earlier perhaps some more officiating nonsense that we need to discuss but just the effort 
against Arsenal in general this season in terms of even the League Cup match that was played back in December um, that was played to a draw and lost on penalties. It, it, it It's a very even-handed showing against them for the season. Yeah, I think it just shows that we're closing the gap on this team. And I think that is made more impressive by the fact that they objectively have had more investment into their squad. You know, we've got, if you look at our lineup that we have today, we've got a lot of players who, you know, either have kind of been developed at Spurs or maybe perhaps are later on in their career and haven't always gotten the credit they deserve, like, you know, a Becky Spencer, for example. Um, so I think just really an admirable effort. And it's it's really great to see that we have sort of cleaned up a lot of those defensive errors that were really hurting us against the top four teams, you know, not just earlier this season, but in past seasons as well. Um, and, you know, for the record, I do think that the assist for their goal was offside. And it's, it's frustrating to me that we still don't have VAR in the WSL. And I know that's a bit of a, a hot topic in sort of women's football circles because a lot of people don't want it to come into the game because they've seen how poorly it's been applied in the men's game. And I understand that, I do, but I do think that in a case like this, it would have been a pretty clear-cut offside decision that made, you know, would make a difference in the result. So from that perspective, it, it was frustrating to me. But it does say a lot that that was the only high-quality chance that they had and it was not really fairly won. So, you know, it is what it is. But I think we definitely had the higher quality chances, especially in the first half. You know, that shot that Jess Naz had was really great um, and required a, you know, fingertip save from Zinsberger. Um, I was disappointed that she did not stay in the game longer. And again, it's hard to know how much of that was like a tactical decision or how much of it was the fact that she played a lot of minutes with the England youth team over the break. Um, but that I think if I had one complaint about the way this game was managed by Robert Villaham, it would just be the substitutions were a little confusing to me. Um, and, you know, I think Ash Neville, it was inevitable that she wasn't going to be able to play the whole match just coming back from injury. But it's you really would have liked to see Charlie Grant come in for her since she's an actual fullback instead of Ramona Petzelberger. That one didn't make sense. Um, Matilda Vinbear, she's just, she's a potential player. You know, I don't think this huge game was really the moment for her. And um, I, I do think that Drew Spence, who was also returning from injury, had a pretty good cameo when she came on. You know, you could see the vision behind some of the passes that she was pulling off. Um, it was just kind of execution was not always there. But I, I do feel like we're poised to have a really strong end to the season with all these players coming back, you know, um, and obviously the next game is going to be very difficult because we're playing Manchester City again yes. and another cup. Um, so that's, you know, it doesn't feel great for that to be the game that we follow this one up with. But at the same time, I think the performance we put in today, like you said, while not perfect, like we did not create enough in the attack, I think we'll have taken some, you know, learnings from it in that regard. And the defensive improvement has been really good. So I, I don't know, you know, we can hope. We can hope uh, you mentioned it next Sunday uh, in the FA cup quarterfinal. It's against Manchester city uh, city have won 12 straight in all competitions and are top of the WSL right now. They are an absolute 
wagon, uh, as they say. Uh, they won the WSL fixtures 7-0 and 2-0 over Spurs this season and then won 1-0 in the League Cup, as you mentioned. So already three defeats to this team this season. Um, but it has been getting better, I guess, is is the way to say it. Uh, this will be a tough challenge next Sunday. So we'll see uh, what Robert Villaham can come up with uh, in terms of a plan to to stop them because they are they are just that good. They are, um, you know, not not currently top but right right there joint top with uh with chelsea who are currently up on leicester city 2-0 as we record so they're they're right in the mix for for the wsl crown along with chelsea this season arsenal are kind of hanging around there and 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 staying in it for now too so um that that will be interesting to see though for the rest of the season kind of how this this plays out in terms of a robert figure it, it feels a little bit similar to last season's run in with you know six or seven games left and yeah, th- there's 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 not a lot to play for in terms of moving up, but at least you're not dealing with the relegation battle that from last year. Like like there is, you know, it, it it's something to look forward to in terms of building going forward to next season rather than having to worry about a drop, which um is really not a worry this season, which is a good thing. So that that is that is positive. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think really the focus for this last portion of the season is just going to be continuing to improve those individual players because I do think we've seen growth from you know quite a few members of the squad under Robert um, because we know that you know player development is a huge focus for him just in general in his career Um, but also just making sure that we're working towards solidifying this new playing style and I I feel hopeful about how it's going to go you know now that we've got everybody back fit basically. Yeah, seven games remaining and a minus eight goal differential. I would say the challenge should be to get that back to level. That would be my my challenge uh, and, and come up with some three-point performances along the way. That would be a, a good way to close out the season and build into a summer where you can hopefully supplement for depth. Kind of, again, like we've said on the men's team, all the, all the parallels are still there every, every week. So uh, progress being made. Uh, that I think, in, unless there's anything else from either of you guys, is going to do it for this week's edition of the Tottenham Depot. Uh, you be sure to follow us at Tottenham Depot on all the social media platforms you could find out there Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, TikTok. I think I named them all. We're also on YouTube. Uh, so check us out in all those places. Uh, you can follow Caroline at CG Stefko. You can follow Scott at, at Scott G Bird. You can follow me at a Stetka. And once again, leave us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and follow us at Tottenham Depot. We will talk to you next weekend following two more matches. Uh, Until then, as always, come on, you Spurs.